When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, Ryan Tejas is here. Yes, I am. Ryan, this is our last episode of the year. I don't know what that was either. <laughs> this is our last episode of the year. We're taking a week off for the Jeez. holidays. Um, happy holidays to everyone out there. Happy New Year. I certainly appreciate you for listening and supporting the show. Um, we keep doing this. I thought this would be over years ago, Ryan. I never thought we'd be continuing this. And what's great is... I promise you even better, not even better, but I won't say better, but great guests in the Mm -hmm. new year. I mean, I couldn't believe I got some of these people. So it's going to be a great new year. I hope you support the podcast. If you can support us at uh, patreon.com slash inside of you, there's different tiers. Top tiers get to ask questions. They get to the guests. They get boxes from me and notes and YouTube lives and an occasional Zoom and there's all sorts of shit, but if you if you just want to be a, a, just support the show, anything helps. A quarter, a quarter. I mean, anything helps the show. Less than the price of a cup of coffee. Less than the prices of a cup of coffee, and you get entertainment if you like the show. Uh, great show today. Um, also, a little favor. Um, I want to say hey to Tim's Superman of Steel Group on Facebook. I want to say thanks, Timmy. Rock on, brother. Uh, also some great, the holidays, people in need, there's obviously foodonfoot.org for, uh, the homeless situation, which is unbearable. Um, Ronald McDonald house, there's, uh, echoes of hope.org for foster youth that I'm on the board for. Um, also, uh, what else? Um, arm the animal rescue mission to saving animals, saving doggies. That's what my friend Shira does. And if you want to donate, do it if you can. Uh, if not, take care of yourself. Great episode today. Um, also, a lot of great stuff on the Inside You Online store. I mean, there's st- there's two Smallville scripts that are signed by the like pretty much the entire cast. It's a rarity. You'll never get these, and they're mine that I kept and giving money to charity. So there you go. So I like doing that. So um, there's two. There's Arctic and Veritas signed by everybody i mean there's like eight signatures or something on each one so check that out be a good holiday gift and you're giving to charity so that's nice tons of other cool merch i can't even tell you funko pop flash funko pop lex uh smallville pictures inside you tumblers shirts lunch boxes smallville lunch just tons of great stuff for the holidays and uh why don't we give a discount code should we do a little discount oh oh yeah we should we should let's do uh let's do 10 percent off Okay. Uh, everything in the store. Okay. The the uh, the code will be happy happy ten happy happy ten. Uh, I think that's it. And also, hey, sunspin.com. It's my band. Uh, you can get CDs and tons of merch on Sunspin. Our new album's out. We'll be streaming in February, but you can get cool merch, new CDs, uh, autograph calendars, all that stuff for the holidays. Sunspin.com. And I believe that's it. Make sure you listen to Talkville. The new season's coming out with us, me, Ryan, yep. and Welling. Uh, listen to that. Uh, we love all the support, and uh, it's it's fun. I'm, I'm having fun doing this, and I hope you guys continue to have fun with us. Right now. The socials uh, are. 
Socials are, Ryan. <laughs> at Inside of You Pod on Twitter, at Inside of You Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. That is correct, my friend. And um, yeah, it's been a groovy year. This is this is a very special interview. Um, I'm a huge Hall & Oates fan. Uh, I have been listening to Hall & Oates since I was young. They have so many hits, and, and John Oates wrote a lot of those hits, and he was wonderful. I was a little starstruck. I held it together. I think you're going to really love this. You're going to learn a lot about John Oates and how they got along and his new album. And he's such a talented guy and a really great guy. Uh, super talented and great. So let's, without further ado, let's get inside of John Oates. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Dude, I got to tell you, you look damn good, dude. Well, thanks. And I, I won't take my, my clothes off, but thanks anyway. For <laughs> you sure? That. No, I'm serious, yeah. man. My dad is 70. Yeah. You look way younger than my dad. <laughs> like, Everybody way. Yeah, I know. Everybody tells me that. Um, I, it, I, you know, hey, I owe it to some clean living and some good Italian jeans on my mother's side. So, you know. What kind of clean living do you do? Well, where does it start? I've been, you know, when I was living in Colorado for 20 years, I was a backcountry skier. I was telemark skier, uh, cross-country skier, biking in the summer, hiking. Um, you know, I started yoga during um, COVID, which is one of the best things I've ever done. Should have started it 30 years earlier. But, um, you know, I, um, I don't drink or smoke. Um, and uh, my wife uh, keeps me on a short lease when it comes to good food. So, uh, you know, cause I can go, I can go in the other direction. Yeah. I can totally go. I can go sausage steak very easy, you know, and I still do, you know, but, um, but you know, no, we, we eat pretty healthy and I, I try to stay fit, you know? Yeah. I think that's my problem is like, my diet is not great and I don't have anyone barking at me or helping me. I just have <laughs> me and my dog. So I wake up and there's no one saying, Hey, you don't need a Snickers bar at 10 AM. Yeah. And you know what dogs like to eat dogs. everything. <laughs> It's true. They do like, to, do you have dogs? No, we, we used to have tons of animals when we lived in Colorado, but now we live in Nashville. We, we actually don't have any pets right now. So cool. Working on, working on a, working on a little uh, house dog. Sweet. You know, I got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of people. I mean, I, you know, I'm an actor and all that, but like I've interviewed, you know, Odin Kirk and Judd Apatow and, you know, a lot of big actors and I've never been more excited. I'm not kidding than interviewing you. Oh, I thought you were going to say, and none of them are as short as you. That's what I thought. You were going to say. <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm, just I'm just messing with you. I know you can mess with me all you want, but I, I was really excited about this. I've seen you 10 times in concert. Uh, I remember one time you were yelling out, all right, what do you want to hear to some years ago? And I go, yeah. adult education. And you go, did somebody say adult education? All right, let's play. And you just played it impromptu. And I was like, let me look. Let me, let me let me give you a little insight into some stagecraft here. All right. So basically when, you know, and this is what I found, I might be wrong. There might be some people who are actually more authentic and honest than me. But um, what you basically do is you know what you want to play and you go, hey, man, what do you want to hear? And then regardless of what you hear, you go, oh, yeah, out of touch. Man, that's exactly <laughs> Let's do it. And, and that's the one you're going to play anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. But um, there's ways around it. I'm sure Bruce doesn't do that because Bruce is so, you know, he's so New Jersey cool that uh, I'm sure he just actually takes an actual, he's got such a repertoire and his band knows every song he's ever written. So 
Um, they just tried it out. Have there has there ever been a curveball where you're like, let's play something you just haven't played in a while and you're actually kind of nervous about it or you don't put yourself in those situations? Um, not very often. You know, the thing is we have we have this really amazing problem. We have too many hits. And, <laughs> that's, a, that's a problem. And and it's a you know, it's it, it, and I say it jokingly, but um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, when we play shows, what we found over the years is that people just want to hear our hits. That's what they come to hear. And I think in a sense have a professional responsibility to play them. Uh, and in addition to that, they're good. You know, they sound great yeah. and they don't seem to age. Um, so, you know, we, we, we squeeze in a couple uh, album tracks here and there during our shows. Um, but basically the whole notes show is, is a, it's just a, it's a hit after hit after hit extravaganza. You know, it's funny because there's nothing worse. I'm, I'm glad you guys have always gotten this right. Because a lot of times you go to see bands that you love, and for some reason they don't want to play a lot of the hits. They want to tell you what they've been up to. They want to, and it's not that you don't want to hear those, but you really come. The fans come for the hits, and you guys never let anyone down. That's the thing. It's like hit after hit, or you know, and it's it's always a blast. Is it something you guys well, talk about beforehand? Like you know, hey, this is what we're gonna do. It, it's just how it's evolved over the years. We just realized that that's that's that our show is really. I mean, our songs are, are good, you know, and. And they've stood the test of time. They don't sound old. They don't sound tired. And I mean, look, you go, go see Elton John. You know, he's going to do basically the same thing. Go see Billy Joel. He's yeah, doing the same. You're right. You know, I mean, it's very, it's the fortunate few that have that, that kind of repertoire that can lean on it. You know, I mean, but the, you know, the release for me is that when I do my solo shows, I do all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm all over the map. I mean, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing roots music, obscure blues from the 1930s. You know, so that's, you know, I, so I'm able to do that. So I don't feel like I'm constrained when I play a Hall and Oates show. I, I, cause I have a total, you know, outlet to do basically whatever I want. So, yeah. And I want to get into like growing up and get into how it all started. But like, I got to say, I was, I was just telling Sarah, your publicist, pushing a rock is a great song. Thank you. Yes, it, it is. It is. <laughs> it really is a great song. It's yeah. like, you know, a lot of people come out with new songs all the time. They're like, hey, this is our new track. And I was actually, I was watching the video. I was listening to the song and I was like, it's catchy. It's got a groove to it. Your voice sounds freaking awesome. I don't know how you still have a great voice like this. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, you know, on my own when I'm doing my solo shows, obviously I'm, I'm the lead singer, you know, obviously Daryl sings, you know, the way more, the majority of stuff on the whole note stuff. So over the years, you know, I guess I've, I've been lucky that I've been able to save my voice in one sense. And the other way is that with my solo shows, I sing all the time. So not only that, you know, since I've been to Nashville, I've, I've developed a relationship with a great engineer, co-producer, and we've worked on my vocal. We've experimented with microphones. We've experimented with effects. We've experimented with certain techniques. And little by little, we've honed in on a really cool way to record my voice. Can I play a hair of pushing a rock? Yeah, man. Play more than a hair. We'll put this in there. Come on. I mean, that's if you guys don't all download that right now, it is just you, it's just grew. I mean, it's a driving song. It's a at home chilling song. I love it. And thank you. Yeah, man. It's it's so good. And challenging I'm channeling one of my heroes, Curtis Mayfield, on that stuff, right? There. You could totally hear that. You could totally hear that. And what I love is that this song has a lot of meaning to it. And yeah. you know. 
you know, you talk about mental health and you're open with that stuff. And this is a lot of what this podcast is. I mean, I have people come here and we don't just want to talk about fluff and like, you know, we want to get to know people, but you know, I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression. I had a dysfunctional family and a lot of people just don't know how to express themselves or talk. I I finally got my engineer Ryan here in a therapy and he's doing (laughs) it. And people really respond to that. My, my fan base, especially they love hearing about hardships. They love hearing how you face adversity and you know how you like this song it's a rallying cry you say to everyone who strives to overcome life's struggles and challenges it's a universal theme an important message for our time riding on a cool groove there you go i mean i said i said that all by myself too. you did you came up did it take you a minute to, <laughs> to, to be so articulate it, yeah it took, took me a couple of weeks to come up with that but i'm, I'm happy with it is this one <laughs> is this one of those songs where you could feel when you were singing it, like the lyrics is just, it just, it was, e- those songs tend oh, this, to be easier, huh? This song has a, a, a crazy story. I mean, I, first of all, I have never re, okay. This song was written in 2014. Originally, I was doing an album called Good Road to Follow. The theme of the album was a collaborative album where I was going to reach out to people I really liked and respected and wanted to work with them. So, I mean, I had Vince Gill, uh, Ryan Tedder from One Republic, uh, uh, Hot Shell Ray, young uh, pop group, um, some country people. And so it was really just a, a, a great way to step into other people's creative, you know, uh, worlds and see what they do and how they do it. So at the time, um, I reached out to uh, one of the first people I met in Nashville years ago was Nathan Paul Chapman, who uh, started really started Taylor Swift off from the time when she was a young teenager to uh, doing demos and up until her first, uh, you know, uh, three or four albums, which were huge, you know, and she became a megastar. Taylor had moved on around that time. And she was using different producers. And I called Nathan and I said, man, I'm doing this project and I know you're not working so much with Taylor anymore. Uh, Maybe we should try something. And he was like, man, he goes, that would be amazing. He goes, I could use like a creative, you know, kind of lift. And I said, and I started thinking about, you know, maybe he, you know, what kind of struggles he might be going through or, you know, and there was things that were going on in my life. And I came up with the Greek, you know, like taking a, a takeoff on the Greek myth of Sisyphus, you know, struggling to push a rock uphill. And I thought it was a great idea. I went to Nathan's house uh, in the same little room where he cut all the Taylor stuff. And um, I laid the idea on him and he said, man, this is great. Let's do it. So we wrote the song, recorded it back on that album, but I was never really happy with it. I I think I kind of let, it was kind of my fault because I did the music and I, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as the lyrics. Let's put it that way. Um, and so over the years, as I played it live over the years. And every time I play it, I change it because I, I just didn't feel comfortable with the original version. But I never locked into the right version. Then during COVID, I revisited the song yet again. And I looked at the lyrics. I said, man, this is just as important now, probably even more, more pertinent, more on point. And I said, man, I'm going to try to come up with some new music for this. And I used about 98% of the, the lyrics that are identical to the original. Um, and then I rewrote the track. And then I called Nathan up and I said, hey, man, I got a surprise for you. Uh, remember that song we wrote back in 214? Well, I said I changed it. And I played it for him. And he said, man, it sounds great. He goes, it's, this is the way it always should have sounded. 
I said, okay, and I got the stamp, but I got a stamp of approval. So I went in the studio and cut it this way. I mean, how rare is that? No, nobody does that. It's seldom that you go back to something you wrote seven years ago or how many years ago and go, you know what? That we just didn't get it right when we put it out the first time. Let's do it I, again. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've never done it. And and I've always I've always felt like personally, philosophically, I guess you'd say, is that um a, a, a recording is a is a is a timestamp, has a timestamp. It's a it's a moment in time. You're capturing something. It's what you who you were at the time, what you what you were doing, the player the engineers, the studio, that thing, all, all those components that make up on a, a recording. Um, and I never wanted to mess with that. But on this song, I just something was telling me that I had to take it to another level. Yeah. Pushing a rock. And where could people, you find that on Spotify everywhere, right? It, well, if it's not everywhere, I'm going to be really pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found- I got Rocket Money. <laughs> okay, I found one. It, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had... You know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. <laughs> exactly. And you're, are you releasing more singles as, as, as we go yeah, on? The whole idea is that during, during COVID and, and from the actually the last year or so, I've been writing like a crazy person and um, I have all these new songs. And I said, now I got to get them out. And I have never done a, a totally digital release. Um, this is the first recording I've ever done in my whole life, either with Daryl or by myself, where there's no physical product involved. Now, not to say that there might not be down the road, but um, so I reached out to the orchard and there's a company, a digital marketing company called black box. And I talked about, Hey, let me, uh, let me step into the modern world here and, and just uh, do a digital release. And we came up with a, came up with a concept that I thought that I had never heard about before. And they told me it's called always on, which means you're always there. Like you're in the digital realm on those digital DSPs. Your music is always there. There's always something out and you can release something every week or every hour or whatever you want to do. Um, and I said, I never thought of Rick. You know, I always thought in the old school way, you know, you make an album, you know, you got 10 songs or 11 songs, you make an album, you release the album. Yeah. Uh, they said, no, just re keep releasing stuff. So the concept is to release a song every month for the next six, seven months. And we'll see where that puts me. And, um, and then if people want it, want to hear it as a collection, Sure, we'll make a collection out of it. I love that. And you you also teamed up with Movember. I read the Rolling Stone interview, which right. is awesome. Uh, right. The leading international men's health charity ahead of the, the nonprofit's annual fall campaign where men grow mustaches to raise awareness and funds for men's health issues, focusing on mental health, suicide prevention, and testicular and prostate cancer. I think that's badass. Does that mean you're going to grow it and then you're going to shave it again, or are you going to keep it this time? What do you think? Man? I don't know. I'm I mean, I always liked you with a mustache. I read the Rolling Stone. Well, and, <laughs> I mean, you... It's, I mean, I can't grow one. I, it just looks sloppy. I look like a frat boy or something. Like, I don't know what I, it just doesn't look right with me. Your face fits it. You have a good mustache. <laughs> That's only because you've seen me for 40 years with a mustache. Um, you, you, like I say, you're saying you're, you're facially follically challenged. Huh? I, I don't believe it. I mean, I, I can grow it. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't stand out. Yours is like, and by the way, I know I read a lot of the article and I know that you're like, Hey, you know, people, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a, you were split on it. You like the mustache, but also people would associate you like, Oh, the mustache, the mustache. And it's funny because my friend, John heater, he was, he's Napoleon dynamite. Did you ever see Napoleon dynamite? Yeah. Hey, yeah, sure. Yeah, he's one of my best friends. And I, I always mimic him. I always, you know, I was yeah. just, yeah. And I'm like, geez, <laughs> you're a freaking idiot. And he's like, he goes, are you, are you, are you talking like me? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you're just jealous because Lex Luthor doesn't have a distinct voice. <laughs> you know, cause my character didn't, he just talked like me. So in a way, I mean, it's like, it, it's kind of like, it's you, it's your trademark. It's like people recognize you. They remember you. I think it's a cool thing. I mean, I'm sure you had your ups and downs with it. What happened was, um, 
at the end of the 80s, there was lots of changes going on for me. Uh, you know, we had done, had this insane decade of mega pop stardom and uh, my, my was changing as a person. And I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to leave that guy who jumps around in the MTV videos. I wanted to leave him behind. Uh, I was getting divorced. Uh, we, I didn't, I had, we didn't have a manager. There was some financial issues. And I just said that the mustache seemed to, to represent that other guy that I didn't want to be anymore. And we're moving, I was moving into the nineties and I just thought it, I need to change. I need to do something new. And so it was representative of that. That's when I shaved it off. And then I uh, moved to Colorado, lived in the mountains for, you know, 20 years and never really grew it back. Uh, it was a thing, but now I'm, <laughs> I'm more evolved now. I can, I can handle it. I, I don't have, I don't have that same connection to, uh, to it. To me, it's just facial hair. So. <laughs> right. Uh, when you moved to Colorado, is that when you became friends with Hunter S. Thompson? Well, we were, yeah, we were his neighbor. We were his closest neighbor. I'll tell you a very, very funny story about that. Um, we, uh, when I met my, my future wife, we were dating at the time, you know, we weren't married yet and, uh, we were getting very serious and, um, I, um, we, we were living, you know, I was living in my little condo. I had this little condo out there and, uh, we're thinking about buying a house and, um, she's, a, she comes from a farm. She grew up on a farm in Illinois. So she's always had tons of animals and things like that. So, um, she found this piece of property out in Woody Creek, which is right outside Aspen. And, um, you know, where you had a barn and could put, you know, you could have animals, et cetera, et cetera. So the real estate agent was a really good friend of mine. We go out there and we're standing on the property, kind of looking around. And all of a sudden we hear these two shotgun blasts. Boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, and the little barn that we were standing next to had a metal roof. And all of a sudden pellets going all over the, all over the metal roof. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? He goes, oh, that's your neighbor. That's, that's, that's the hunter. Don't, don't worry about it. He's fine. And I'm like, okay. I said, wait a second. I said, we're going to move into a house that's literally shotgun distance from this guy. Who's <laughs> oh, at us, no. I think he shoot. No, I'm serious. I think he knew that someone was going to buy the property and he was putting a shot across the bow, you know, seriously, <laughs> meta, you know, metaphorically, of course. Um, yeah. And I was like, and he said, no, no, he's great, man. Don't know. It won't be a problem. And so then over the years, we became friends and, you know, we'd go up, I'd go up there and watch Monday Night Football with him and the sheriff and all that. And uh, yeah, you know, he was, if he liked you, he was fantastic, you know, and um, he, um, he liked being Hunter. You know, he liked, he liked the slouch hat with the cigarette holder and the motorcycle and the big glass of, you know, gin or whatever he was drinking. Um, but, you know, deep down inside, he was a Southern, he was, a, he was from Kentucky. He was a Southern gentleman. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't see a lot of each other, but, um, and I, you know, we, we went to his funeral, the one that Johnny Depp, you know, put on right. where they shot his ashes out of a cannon. We were there for that. Wow. And it was, it was freaking crazy. So yeah, even now we still have our house there. And if you drive out our lane, you drive directly into his driveway. It just seems like it'd be hard to talk to someone like because they're kind of out there and philosophical. Or was he more down the earth that you can easily carry a conversation once you got to know him a little bit? Well, you know, you fucking talk like this. You know, God, that's all right. He mumbled all the time. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I was asked to write this article um, uh, for a magazine in, in, in Colorado or Aspen. And what had happened was in that little barn that we were thinking of buying, his red land shark, the one from Fear and Loathing, mm -hmm. was in that barn. And I said to the real estate agent, I said, why is this guy's car in someone else's property? He goes, oh, that's Hunter's. It just, and he had put a padlock on the door and it wasn't his property. And he said, well, this is Woody Creek. This is not like other places. He goes, you, you, you'll get to, you'll figure this out. So when time, the time came, we were going to, 
use this little barn as a kind of a guest house. We we're going to uh, convert it to an apartment, live there while we, um, you know, built the rest of the house. And so the keys were in the car. So I jump started it. And I, cause I went to his house, knocked on his door. He never answered. So I just pulled, literally pulled the car straight up in front of his kitchen door and just left it there. And 20 years went by. He never said a word to me about it. <laughs> I think he, I think he just thought it appeared, you know, just like appeared in front of That's his house. That's funny. What the fuck is that? Right. Yeah. No, no, it was great. You know, we, um, That's cool. Yeah, like That's I said, cool. we'd go up there and watch Monday night football and I got all kinds of stories. Yeah, we'll have to talk about those sometime because I, I am interested in that. Now, you grew up in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, right outside of Philadelphia. And did you have a pretty normal upbringing? Were your parents there? Were they cool? Were you? Uh, yeah. You did? You had a pretty. I did. I had a very, very solid upbringing. My parents were together their whole lives. And um, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a good upbringing, I, I have to say. And I think that's, that's why it was even more traumatic at the end of the 80s when I went through this kind of change of life and I had all these challenges with divorce and all that and money. Um, it was even more traumatic for me because I had never experienced anything like that. I'd never experienced any kind of turmoil or upheaval. So it really hit me hard. And that's when I, you know, did some therapy and started to look at strategies on how I was going to go forward. And, you know, and that led me to led me to really moving to Colorado. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Wow. And you and you went, I didn't know you You were a wrestler. I wrestled a little too. I wrestled in seventh yeah, and eighth yeah. grade. And in eighth, ninth grade, it was just too difficult. The coach was too hard. So I, <laughs> I played something else. I got into a different sport. But you were a good wrestler. You went on to, to wrestle for Temple University. Yeah, I was um, I was pretty good. We had a great uh, the school I went to. The high school was a great wrestling school. We had a number of state champions. I was a I was a uh, um, I, I won a couple championships, league championships, and uh, regional you know district championships, things like that. Uh, but I, I wasn't that good. But um, it was you know you're right. Wrestling's like probably the hardest sport you can oh, do. Man, you have to starve yourself. You have to be incredibly <laughs> fit. And yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, but you know what? It 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 helped me in good. It kind of gave me some strong bones and connective tissue. Could, could you still throw the cross face cradle? I can do all that stuff. You can, do, you can I, still yeah, do it. But yeah, but I don't know if I'd be able to wake up the next day. <laughs> it's the most <laughs> exhausting sport there is. A minute wrestling feels like the end of the world. That's it. You're done. Yeah. You know, one time, I think it was in the late 70s. I went back to my high school because I was really good friends with the coach. He was a mentor to me. And I went back to the high school and I made the mistake of like trying to wrestle with the kids. <laughs> And I got my ass kicked and I, it was like, I was, I was like, okay, I realized, you know, I'm too far out now. It's, it's, 
Yeah, it hurts too much. How old were you when you were playing music? When did you get into music? Was that an early age? I started when I was, as soon as I could talk. Um, I have a recording of me singing uh, Here Comes Peter Cottontail at four years old. And then I have a recording of me at about eight or nine singing uh, All Shook Up, the Elvis song. Uh, that we did in Coney Island in one of those re- recording booths, you know, where you put a coin in, you yes. sing, and then the record comes flying, you know, sliding out. So yeah, well, I was, um, I always sang. My parent, my mom was a bit of a stage mom. She got me up in front of people at a very early age. Um, so I, I made my first money um, at the Jersey Shore singing Volare in Italian when I was like, you know, probably nine or ten. Wow! Uh, I won a talent contest. I got twenty bucks. I thought, hey, this is the way to do it. This works. <laughs> did you did you think back then? What what age was it? You're like, you know what? I want to do this. I think I could do this. It doesn't seem like it happened that early, right? That you were like, this is my career. This is what I'm going to get into. I never thought about it. I just kept doing it. Um, I joined a band at you know at, in seventh grade. Was, was in the same band through junior high and high school. Uh, then in college, uh, the band finally broke up, and that's when I met Daryl. I just you know the way I looked at it is people never really. Stop clapping. So yeah. I kept doing it. What I, You probably told the story, but do you remember the day you met Daryl and you said something clicked? Yeah, I, I remember exactly. It was, we were, uh, he had a group called the Temptones. I had a group called the Masters. We both had singles out. It was in the summer of 1967 uh, in Philadelphia. There was They were both being played on the same radio stations. So I was aware of him. He was aware of me. Um, we were invited independently to go to this record hop, which was what DJs, you know, a teenage dance, basically. Uh, and while we were waiting backstage, there was a gang fight. And so broke out in the, in, the, in the crowd. And so his band and my band, we went in a service elevator down to the street. And that's how we met. Um, and then we just we were both going to Temple University. Um, we just kept seeing each other around. Uh, then he lost the guitar player. My band broke up. Two of the guys got drafted to Vietnam. And uh, I joined his group as a guitar player. That group broke up, and he and I started hanging out. Jeez, just by happenstance. If that elevator, you know, if that fight didn't break yeah. out, you probably wouldn't have met that night. There'd be no Hall and Oates. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of things happened. I mean, if I wouldn't have picked Temple University to go to college. I mean, I had a bunch of other colleges I was looking at. Um, you know, it was just, hey, things, you never know how things are going to work out. Who was the more outgoing of the two of you when you met? Were you both kind of outgoing, ladies' men, like kind of like just having fun? Everything was simple then? Everything was simple then, that's for sure. Uh, not the same as it is now, that's for sure. Uh, no, you know, we were hippies. You know, we just kind of tripped around and did things. And Philadelphia had this little hippie community downtown, and we were part of that. And so, you know, we'd, I was playing in a blues band. Daryl was doing some studio work. And then eventually he played in a bar band. Uh, and none of the things that we did independently seemed to click. And then oh, the crazy part is, is that after I graduated from college in ni- the spring of 1970, I wanted to go to Europe. So I had a motorcycle and I had a few other things. I sold, I got, I think I had 400 bucks and I had a backpack and a guitar and I went to Europe and, and I hitchhiked around Europe for four months. And during that time, I sublet my apartment to Daryl's sister and her boyfriend and so when I got back in uh, October, um, after being gone for four months, I went to my apartment and there was a padlock on the door uh, because they didn't pay the rent oh, and shit. I had nowhere to go. So Daryl was living, you know, not very close, a few blocks away. So I just put my backpack and guitar back on, walked down the street, knocked on his door and said, hey, man, your sister kind of screwed me up here. I, <laughs> I got nowhere to live. 
And he said, he said, oh, don't worry about it. Why don't you just go upstairs and sleep on the couch up there? And so I went up to the top floor where, by the way, where his electric piano was. And then um, I slept on the fold-out couch and he'd come up, he'd start playing piano. I'd pull out my guitar and we start. Next thing you know, we were writing songs and there you go. It was that easy. It was that just messing around. And all of a well, sudden, we, we had known each other for three years prior to that, but we hadn't really worked together. And what did you know you had something special or was it just two guys having a good time? No, no. It, in fact, we we made a first recording at, at the Temple University radio studio because we could get in for free. And we did this tape of a song that we wrote. It was so bad. It was horrible. What was and it? What had, was it called? Oh, it was, it was some stupid <laughs> dip, hippie dipshit song. <laughs> and, and, um, and we both looked at each other and went, let's just hang out. This, this is never going to work. Wow. Because his, his voice was very high and pristine. My voice was kind of, you know, low and rough. And it just, it sounded horrible. And little by little, you know, I guess, I guess, I don't know what, you know, he, he, he went this way and I went this way. And we kind of figured out a way of singing together. And what was the first song that you could go, holy shit, you know, this is better than that recording we did at Temple University. This is something well, cool. We had, we had, you know, the first album we did was just a collection of stuff that songs that I had, songs that he had. It wasn't really conceived like a record, but we, we got a contract. So we made the record for Atlantic Records. And it was really the second album, the Abandoned Luncheonette album, where it really came together. Um, and that's what She's Gone was on. She's Gone was on that, song, that album. And that that song was, you know, I call that the perfect storm. That's uh, the perfect creative storm. It, everything about that was right. It was the right producer in the right studio with the right song that we had written with the right players. Everything about it was just perfect. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. Produced by Arif Martin, one of the world's great producers, one of, you know, one of the greatest producers of all time. Uh, that's Bernard Purdy playing drums, one of the you know, probably one of the greatest R&B drummers of all time. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, it was the perfect storm. It was the right people, the right circumstance, and we had written the right song. And at first it was just your guitars and singing the song. That's it. Well, when we, when we wrote it, it was, um, I, I was playing acoustic guitar and Daryl was playing electric piano. And uh, that's how we wrote it. We wrote it in about an hour and a half. You wrote that um, song in an hour and a half. Oh yeah. If, if that, if that. I had I had gotten st stood up on a date uh, for New Year's Eve. And um, so while I was sitting in the apartment by myself, I just picked up the guitar and I thought, well, she's not coming. She's ne never gone. And, she, and I said, well, she's gone. And I started doing this like folky, like Cat Stevens kind of thing. Um, and it was like, she's gone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, I, I was kind of messing around with that for a while. And then the next day, uh, Daryl came back to the house, to the apartment, because we were sharing an apartment. And uh, I played it for him. And he sat down at the piano. And he said, oh, that's cool. And he started going, boom, boom, dun, 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 <laughs> which is the piano riff that you hear <sighs> at the end of the song. And we just wrote it. And we just looked around the apartment. And I remember, like, you know, in the course of writing, just walking into the bathroom. And then it was toothbrush <laughs> all, you know. <laughs> Hanging on the stand or whatever. Yeah. It's all, you know, afraid. And, you know, I probably had. <laughs> I probably was using the same toothbrush for four years or something, but, um, uh, and it was just that, you know, just taking these, you know, snapshots of life, um, of lo loss and loneliness and just putting it together the right way, you know? And so you go back and forth, like you did on, on numerous songs where you'd come up with a little line and you go, how about this? And you just go back and forth with like different. Yeah. Lines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
And I, I, you know, I can't remember, you know, who, who came up with it, but it really doesn't matter at this point. But that, that line, everybody's high on consolation. That's like, I mean, you think about that line, that, that's a really good line, yeah. you know? And that was, that was the kickoff. Once, once that line, that, that's the beginning of the song was like, okay, we, now we know what this is about. Let's go. And, you know, we just wrote it. You know what else could have worked? Because I always used to mess up the lines when I'd sing it. Everybody's high on constellation. Oh, I know. And that's what everybody thought it was, of course. <laughs> of course, just like astrology. Everybody, just, just like, yeah, yeah, that was, well, we were hippies. So, you know, maybe astrology thing could have worked, but constellation's way better. <laughs> constellation's um, but, way better. Uh, but, you know, just like people think it's kiss on my lips, it's kiss on my list. It's, a, it's not, your kiss is not, a, not on my lips, your kiss is on a list of the best things in life. It doesn't necessarily, it is the best thing. <laughs> I love that you're talking about this because it's like stuff that I'm like, I grew up on. I'm like, you know, how did all this happen? Because I, I have a band and I had a band and we sold about 80 million uh, records less than you guys sold. <laughs> so, uh, I that that's, it, that's a good one. And there I you. know that it was very difficult for me. <laughs> we just always, I don't know any band that hasn't gotten in fights, hasn't gotten like, no, this is cooler. No, this is cooler. And it would get, some of these fights were explosive. Like I'd be like, fuck you, get the fuck out of my house. I fucking <laughs> don't. I mean, I, and this was a band that was nothing. So I can't imagine the pressures and the, your guys are making money and you're writing songs together. There's egos and there's, I, I don't know how you, you lasted as long as you did, because I don't know one band. I was watching the Beatles documentary, you know, and then uh, one day, what's his name? George Harrison just goes, okay, well, I think I'm going to quit the band now. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Well, that wasn't, that wasn't a good career choice, but, the, <laughs> just, but, but he, he did just fine. George did just fine. Now, you know, I think Daryl and I both are very non-confrontational people. Um, and we would rather, you know, kind of just go our separate ways and just let things simmer down and then figure out a way, a way around it. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's really amazing that we've been able to stay together this long. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we've been together for over 50 years and, I, the way I look at it, it's like 50 years is long enough to do almost anything. So, <laughs> you know, at this point now, you know, we, we, you know, if we play a show again, which we will at some point, uh, great. And if we don't, well, that's okay too. You know, I, yeah. it is what it is. So you've learned to like, go, oh, Hey, there's been ups and downs. There's been all this stuff, but like at the end of the day, we did something great, you know, and it's it's a miracle as far as I'm it concerned. Is a it's a miracle that we were able to create what we created uh, and to stay together long enough and have those amazing experiences in life and traveling around the world and playing Live Aid and We Are the World and, you know, all these the Apollo Theater and all these like kind of, you know, these uh, watershed or no, not watershed, but, you know, these these moments, these like iconic moments, you know. Um, and so you know, what more do you want? What more do you want in life? <laughs> yeah. Career? Did you ever, were you ever like in a, not a good place and you're both on stage and you have to pretend you love each other and you're like, God, I fucking don't want to be here. Neither does he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Last week. Are you serious? How does that, how do, no, no. But what do you do? You just, you have to just move on. Right. Yeah. You just, you know what? It's called being a pro. You know, look, there's plenty of there's plenty of groups out there that don't like each other necessarily. Oh, Tons yeah. Of All of okay? them. Okay. <laughs> and you know what? So whether it's, you know, it may be greed, it may be professional pride, it may be, um, 
you know, maybe because you owe the you owe the next car payment and you can't figure out how to do it. Who knows what the motivation yeah. is? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for being a pro. You know, you, you you can just get past the other crap and just do it. Yeah, you know, I I talked about I deal with anxiety and stuff like, and I have some. I, I won't mention his name, but I have a, a friend who he ex, has to, he's a huge musician musician. He's played in he, the, one of the biggest bands in the world. You know him. You probably worked with him. I won't say his name. I love him to death, but I say, I mean, how do you do it? You're in, in a stadium with 50,000 people and it's are your nerves going wild. Don't you have anxiety? He goes, I take like a quarter of a Xanax before every show for his, <laughs> that's what he does. Have you, you know, done it, something like that? Did you ever drink before you played? Did you ever get? Yeah, I well, I I have never been a big drinker. I don't drink at all now. Um, but even when I was drinking, I I realized very quickly. And actually, it was mostly what I discovered when I was doing my solo shows. If I had a drink, I was sloppier. I wasn't as accurate, especially with playing. My vocals were okay, but my 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 ability to play the guitar was not as good. So little by little, I realized that, you know, it's just, I'm better when I'm sober. It's as simple as that. Do you get anxiety? Have you dealt with anxiety in your life? Oh yeah. Well, but, but anxiety from outside sources, most of my anxiety, I finally realized that, you know, and, and now that I can look back on my life and, you know, with a, with a, you know, a little more, more perspective, most of my problems, in fact, all of my problems and anxiety had to do with me being trusting. And having people who I thought I could trust not not be truthful and not be um, honest that that has been the source of all my issues. Um, I try to be a nice person. I try to uh, you know I try to treat people fairly. I try and I try to be as honest as I can. You know, in a in a really dishonest business. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know anything, obviously you're in the yeah. entertainment business. You know, it's a shit show. Yeah. So. Um, but that's where my, my issues are. My issues are trusting people and having them stab you in the back and having them not, not, not be who you were hoping they would be, or at least giving you the, um, you know, the courtesy of, uh, of being straightforward. That that's, that's a big issue for me. What's up everyone. It's reality. Steve, your number one source for all things, bachelor nation and reality TV. Every day I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your bachelor nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The reality Steve podcast, part of the believe network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Yeah, I understand that. It's 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 the worst business to be in when you're looking for that because I come from humble or, origin where you know I grew up in a small town and uh, you know I come out here and you just want to you want to believe everybody. You want to think that yeah. everybody has your best interest. <laughs> well, they they all never have your best interest. It's what's for yeah. me. What? How do yeah. I benefit from this person? And yeah. you know, in your lifetime, if you meet a handful of people that you could really trust and you know and know it's unconditional, the love and the, you know reciprocation you win, but you have to mm. weed out. A lot of times you have to go through those things as you know, more than I do. What was the, was the hardest time in your life? Really? The end of the eighties sort of like fine reinventing yourself, going Absolutely. through a divorce. What was yeah. it that how empty or how low did you actually get? Cause I know you talk about mental health, but what were, how de desperate did you become? 
Well, I, I talk about it in my, in my book. You know, I, I wrote, an, I have an autobiography yep. called uh, Change of Seasons. And I, you know, I talk about it in the book. I describe it. Yeah, there was an issue. There was an issue with some uh, money and things like that. Um, and it was kind of a, I had, you know, and I'll, I'll just say it again. I, I had been called down to a meeting on Wall Street with, uh, with some money managers who uh, here again, I had been trusting for years. And I found out that um, I didn't have what I thought I had. And it was kind of a wake up call. And I remember, um, you know, kind of being shocked. And it was a, it was a, kind of an after hours meeting in this big Wall Street, you know, high rise. And, and I remember the, the, the head of the firm, you know, this uh, much older guy, you know, he walked me out to the elevator and he could tell I was, you know, pretty shaken up. And he said, look, he said, I know this is, you know, you probably think this is, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to you. He goes, but I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And with that, the door, the elevator door opened. I got in the elevator and went downstairs. So I got in a cab and I head up to my apartment in the village. And at the time, um, I was separated from my wife. We were about to get divorced. And so I gave her all the furniture. Uh, there was nothing in the apartment except a TV and a bed. It was very depressing. But pr- before I got there, I was in the cab. And as I was riding up uptown toward my apartment, I started getting pains in my chest. And I thought my... And I had never had it, experienced anything like that. Uh, you got to remember, I was in my 30s. Yeah. And I, I went, oh, my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to die in the back of this cab. And I said, this is fucked up. I said, die by myself in the back of a cab at night in New York City. And I, and I got pissed off. And I said, I'm never going to let this happen to me. And I, but I had pains in my chest. Look, uh, Spoiler alert, uh, it, it didn't happen, just so you know. I want to let you know. Um, but anyway, so I, but I, I went up to the apartment, and there it was, this like really depressing, dark apartment with no furniture. And I'm standing there going, this is fucked up. I said, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm doing, I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be this. And that's when the whole thing started. That's when I started therapy. That's when I made the decision to leave New York. I sold everything I owned, which was considerable. I had a lot of, as they say, I, I might not have had a lot of cash in the bank, but I had a lot of shit. Right. You know, I had apartments and a house in Connecticut. I had an airplane. I had car, car collection. I sold everything, literally wholesaled everything. Um, and I just moved to Colorado and started over again. That's where I met my future wife. I had a house. I built a house, had a kid, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's amazing. You think about that stuff and you look back and it's like, there's nothing more important than your health. I mean, they always say health yeah. is wealth. I mean, in yeah. the end, it's like money and all these other things, they don't, they don't matter. They really don't matter as, as, as they make life easier, of course. And they make, you know, but if you're not happy with money, you're not going to be happy, you know, or if you're not happy without money, you're not going to be happy with money. Right. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not happy with money, you're not going to be happy. You knew what I was fucking talking about. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but everything got, everything got better. One of the best things I've heard in a long time. Yeah. So well, you know, if you hang around me long enough, I put my foot in my mouth quite frequently. Yeah, good. Um, I love it. Do you, what's more important to you? Uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or Rock and Roll Songwriters Hall of Fame? Songwriters Hall of Fame, no doubt about it. Um, because I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Being in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a great career move. It's it's fantastic for your career. Right. Um, but if we wouldn't have written the songs we wrote, we wouldn't be in the Rock and Roll Hall. Of Fame. Right. So to be and and really, I I like to you know I have a I'm I'm a history buff. I 
I love the history of American pop music, you know, dating back to the early days of radio and the record player, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm a little bit of a self-styled, you know, music historian when it comes to that. And to be included in this great, you know, honestly, a great pantheon of American songwriters, you know, I mean, you're talking about George Gershwin, you're talking about Cole Porter, the Brill Building, you know, uh, all, all these amazing, you know, I mean, I think, I think American pop music is one of the America's greatest export to the world. It, there's no negative to it. Everything about it is positive. Um, it's one of the few things I think that we can ex- see, honestly stand behind and say that we've never had a problem with American pop music <laughs> yeah. influencing people around the world. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, to be a part of that, that exclusive club is pretty heavy duty. You ever fuck up on stage? I mean, royally, like you just butchered a song in front of 50,000 people. No, but I pissed my pants once and I had black pants, so it didn't matter. So I got through the You set. did? You pissed yeah, your years, pants. Years ago, I drank I drank way too much espresso before I went on stage. And you just were like, I can't leave, so I'm just going to piss myself? Well, I, I wasn't about to stop the show. <laughs> hey, I the love show how honest you are with that. You know, it's funny. I remember I doing- Hey, listen, I am so way past all this stuff. I don't care anymore. I love it. I, I remember- uh, this director, he's a good friend of mine, Greg, and he was directing an episode of the show I was on. And I was like, hey, listen, man, here's what I think I should do. He's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I go, dude, what's the matter with you? Because I, I, I just, I, I go, oh my, I looked down and he had just pissed him. He wasn't wearing black jeans. He was wearing beige. He had pissed oh, himself. Good. He's like, Not- I go, Greg, you just pissed yourself. I know, I have to go. <laughs> it was just, oh man, but I've shit myself, so we don't have to get into that. So we're, we're right, human, yeah. we're human. Anyway. Um, What's your, the one concert you look back and say, that was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of, that one concert? The Apollo Theater with Eddie Kendrick and David Ruffin, when we brought Eddie and David out and reprised the Temptations uh, medley uh, that we, you know, Daryl and I were both Temptations fans. Uh, Daryl was actually friends with the original group. Um, And when I first met Daryl, one of the first things we did was we went to New York City and we went to the Apollo Theater and we hung out in the dressing room with the Temptations this was probably 68 or 67. And we um, we sat in the front row and watched The Temptations at the Apollo Theater, the original group with Eddie Kendrick, David Ruffin, you know, Paul Williams and, you know, Melvin Franklin and Otis Williams. Um, and uh, so then we were asked to reopen the Apollo after it had been renovated. And it was a big deal to to play the Apollo. Um, and so we asked Eddie and, Eddie and David if they'd come and sing those songs with us. And we were on stage, we did the steps, we did the choreography. And it was like, honestly, it was like tripping. I, I thought it was like, I could see myself from above. It was like, I was not, I was, and you know, people talk about out of body experience. It sounds all hippy dippy and everything. Right. But honestly, it was an actual out of body experience. I, I remember almost as if I was looking at my doing it in real time. You know what? Out of all the songs you've written, I mean, Sarah Smile, She's Gone, Out of Touch, Make My Dreams, I Can't Go For That, Man Your Adult Education, uh, Pushing a Rock, all these songs. What is the one song that you're like, I, I love that song more than any other song? I mean, I know they're all your babies, but if there's one you had to choose, like, this is this is the song that I love the most. Well, you know, I'll always say She's Gone because it's a song that put us on the map. It's a song that started our whole career. So yeah. how can you not, you know, choose that one? Uh, but I have to say, and I know, you know, sounds like so shameless self-promotion, but Pushing a Rock is a really Beautiful. important song for me. Um, 
I think I've defined myself on this song uh, as a, a singer, as an artist, as a producer, more than any other song I've ever done as a solo artist. So it's a, it's it's extremely important to me. I'm going to post the video too of the song once please, this please interview do. comes out, please like do. separately, yeah. because yeah. I love I love it so much. I think the song but, is is just super, and your vocals and the just it, it just it just feels good. It's such a great song. Um, I had no idea you wrote co-wrote one of my favorite songs, Electric Blue by Ice House. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I did. Th that is one of the best songs. Uh, it is a good one. It's a good one. Yeah. Electric Blue. You know that song, Ryan? On my knee, on my knees. I'm oh, sorry. I don't have to sing it to you. You know the song. You know the song. Yeah. Do you I'll tell you, yeah, I'll go tell ahead. you a good story. You want to hear a story about Please. that? Please. You got me going now. So, all right. Um, <laughs> I, I met, I ran into Iva Davies, who's the uh, lead, lead singer and lead person, basically, in the group Ice House. Uh, I ran into him at a hotel uh, in New York City that we we're both staying in. Um, and, you know, I knew Ice House. I was a fan of the band and uh, we started talking and I was kind of in a little bit of downtime. I wasn't really working too much at the moment. And he said, hey, would you ever want to come to Australia? And, you know, maybe we could write something. And I said, oh, I love Australia. Let's let's do it. So he brought me to Sydney and um, we, you know, we hung out and we were there, you know, and I was only going to be there for about, you know, a week, five days. And we were we were messing around and things weren't clicking. And it was kind of like, eh. You know, I was getting a little nervous because, you know, he brought me all the way down there and I felt like I was, you know, wasn't delivering in a sense. Um, and he was just, it was the beginning of when people were just uh, starting windsurfing. And so he was like into windsurfing and he, and so we were both frustrated. He said, oh, come on, let's just go to the beach, man. We'll clear our heads, whatever. And he goes, I'm going to go windsurfing. You can go hang out on the beach. So yeah, great. So we would go to the beach and I don't know if you recall, but back in those days and all the beaches were topless in, in, in Australia. Mm. Um, and so I was sitting on the beach, he was out there windsurfing and I was, and so I'm sitting there and this gal comes walking up toward me and she's topless, but she had these incredibly blue eyes. I was trying my best just to look at her eyes at her face to keep my eyes focused on her, her, her face. And it just popped into my head, electric blue. I went, Oh, Okay. And then when we went back to the studio afterwards, I said, look, I got this idea. And I said, and I told him he laughed, you know, and I said, I said, let's write a song about this girl's eyes that just penetrate you, you know, and and, uh, and that was it. We wrote we wrote it in like two hours. That is amazing. You know, I was watching the uh, Eagles documentary and Don Henley and Glenn Fry were talking. They were at a bar one night and he goes, you look at that girl over there, man. She's trouble. She's got mm -hmm. lying eyes. <laughs> and that's how yeah. it's amazing how a little thing whether it's a toothbrush right. an animate object whatever can tr yeah. just trigger like an idea that's yeah, amazing yeah. another song that i love is uh las vegas turnaround yeah you wrote that yes i did that's one of my favorite songs man thanks yeah and and that song was written was inspired by sarah allen who later became daryl's girlfriend and you know they were together for many years and she co-wrote a bunch of songs with us and she's the inspiration for sarah smile but at the time she was a uh well she was an airline stewardess <laughs> right um her and her girlfriend walked by i was just sitting on the steps and uh we started talking and um we start, you know, what do you do? Um, we're, we're flight attendants or stewardesses at the time. And I said, what are you going to do? And one of them said, oh, we're going to do a Las Vegas turnaround. I said, well, what's that? I never even heard of it. I didn't either. That's, that's when you, you know, when you get a plane full of people, you fly out to Las Vegas and you just load up the plane again and turn, turn around and go back. <laughs> you don't spend the night. And I was like, wow, wow. Okay. 
And so that was all I needed to hear. You can look back right now, obviously, and go, wow, I'm proud of what I've done. Look at all the shit I've done. You could actually, a lot of people, it's hard for them to take a step back and go, look at this. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful wife. I have like uh, this music that has inspired people. I Are you able to do that? Was there a time where it was hard to look at what you were doing, step on the outside? Well, I think in the, in the last few years, you know, um, you know, moving to Nashville, uh, our son went off to college. Um, my wife and I became empty nesters. We started to do things, travel around a little bit more, taking more time off from the touring grind, you know, not just staying with that constant, you know, touring grind. Uh, life has, has changed and um, I like it. I have to say that it's, it's, a, it's a good, I think I'm settling into a good, you know, rhythm, uh, you know, at this point. I love that. All right. This is called shit talking with John Oates. These are my patrons. It's, it's rapid fire. This is it. These are my patrons who give a lot to the podcast. Go to patreoncom slash inside of you and rapid fire. These are the top patrons. Here you go. Little Lisa. What is one of your favorite memories performing on stage besides the temptations? You mean besides pissing my pants? Besides pissing your pants. <laughs> <laughs> is there a memory on stage? I, I would just say, you know, playing the classics. You know, the Madison Square Garden, the Budokan in, in Tokyo, um, you know, uh, that that sort of thing. Doing these firsts, you know, especially early in your career, that, that, that's the kind of thing that stands out to me. Do you constantly, I mean, still to this day, get recognized every day? Uh, it, it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. You know, I, you know, like living in living in New York City, it wasn't a big deal because nobody cares in New York. Um, and then living in Aspen, Colorado with nobody seems to care either because there's a lot of celebrities live there. Now I live in Nashville and there's a lot of celebrities live here, too. So it's, a, you know, go to Whole Foods and no big deal. Do you like it when people come up and say, oh, my God, can I get a picture or you're fine with yeah, it? Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind as long as people are nice, you know, don't interrupt your meal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kelly asks, I remember as a little kid thinking the album cover for H2O was awesome. Which album cover was your favorite? Wow. You know, that is a good album cover. Um, that's a, that, was, that, that picture was taken by a very famous uh, fashion photographer named Hiro, a Japanese fashion photographer. He did a lot of like Vogue covers and things. That was a cool album cover. Um, I like, um, you know, uh, geez, I guess I think the Abandoned Luncheonette is probably one of my favorite album covers. It's, um the girl I was dating at the time, she was an, uh, an art student in Philadelphia, and she did that as a silkscreen. Wow. Patty Kay, do you remember singing at Naval Air Station, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania? I worked security there. Yep. Yes, <laughs> I do remember that because I met the commander from the F-14 uh, F wing, and he was going to give me a ride in an F-14, which I was very excited about. And it never happened because the Iraq war started right after that. Oh, Jesus. Ray H., if you could only listen to one artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? Oh, boy, that's hard. Uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh, what's your favorite Joni song? Well, the album Blue is one of the greatest, is the greatest album ever made as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's, a, that's she, she actually lived right down the corner from where yeah. I live, right there. I'm on Laurel Canyon where all the, you know, the hippies oh, live okay. and all that, yeah. the country canyon all, all store. You hippies, all you hippies like to hang oh, out there, Oh, right? yeah. There's a lot like yeah. Danny Hutton from Three Dog Night still lives there. Frank Zappa oh, right. lived around the corner. Carol King lived up the street. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty oh, that's cool. A, that's classic. It is classic. Last question, David H. Has there been a time that you were just gobsmacked when you started to play with someone? Yeah, but you know, well, when I was when I was doing when I was doing a lot of folk and blues, um, even before I met Daryl, uh, or before Daryl and I were working together, um, I got to meet and 
play a little bit with Doc Watson and his son Merle in the basement of the Main Point Coffee House in Philadelphia before their show. Uh, that was a high moment for me. That was a really, that was a big deal. Wow. Dude, this has been extraordinary. 21 albums sold 80 million units worldwide. Most successful duo of all time. Hall of Famer, Songwriters Hall of Fame, 10 number one records. An awesome freaking song, Pushing a Rock, is out now. You guys got to download it, please. It's you know, I'm, It won't let you down. It's it's truly amazing. And what what's your handle on Instagram so people could follow you? John Oates Official. John Oates Official. Are you on Twitter as well? Yeah, I have no idea, but I am. <laughs> I am. Uh, dude, this has been extraordinary. I, I, I can't wait to see you, whether it's solo or with Daryl again. If you guys go on tour, this has been like a dream come true. I, I couldn't thank you much more than thanks this. man well I'd be, it'd be great to meet you one of these days we'll, we'll try to make that happen i would love that man take care of yourself keep making great music and and keep up with the mental health stuff and keep the mustache for god's sakes <laughs> take thanks it easy man thank you so great. much john appreciate you thanks, see you. there you have it john oates legend i hope you enjoyed that we don't have musicians very often ryan no, and then it's, it's we should do it more often. We should do it more often. I'm going to try. I want to get Debbie Gibson on. Uh, Paula Abdul and I have talked. Oh, she has a story. Okay, she's going to come on the podcast. Okay, uh, and that's really it. I just wish you guys the very best. We're going to read the top tier patrons off. Those folks that give back to the podcast the most. Patreon.com/slash inside of you. And uh, I hope you have a really good holiday, Ryan. I know you're going to see your family, and mm-hmm. it's important. You know, yeah. you're close with your family. They're not too far away. It's an easy flight. Uh, I, I might drive it this time because I didn't get the flight in time. I think you have some peace and quiet. You in the road, a man in the road. I do. I do enjoy it. I've been doing it all my life. This this trip up to Sonoma County. It's uh, I'm used to the drive. What's the address? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Go visit Ryan. Um, Thanks for all the support, all the love. If you are, didn't listen to the intro, you should. There's a lot of great stuff in there. There's a 10% off discount for the Inside You Online store. Great new stuff that's going to go fast. I'm getting new space uh, ship keys from Smallville autographed, so those will be up again. We're getting some more of those, and uh, that's all I have to say. We'll be doing a stage it in January. But happy holidays. Happy New Year. I love you all. Thank you. Uh, here are the top tiers. Couldn't do it without you. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Nico P, Robert B, Jason W, Sophie M, Kristen K, Raj C, Joshua D, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jamal F, Janelle B, Kimberly E, Mike E, Eldon Suprema, 99 more, Santiago M, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Belinda N, Chris H, Dave H, Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, Betsy D. Didn't we say Betsy D already? I'll say it again. Chad B. I love her. Chad B. Dan N. Big Stevie W. Angel M. Rhiannon C. Corey K. Dev Nixon. Michelle A. Jeremy C. John B. Brandy D. Camille S. Joey M. Eugene and Leah. Nikki G. Corey. Patricia. Heather L. Megan T. Mel S. Orlando C. Caroline R. Christine S. Sarah S. Eric H. Shane R. M. R. Andrew M. Zadoichi 77. Andreas N. Oracle. Karina N. Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Lena 82, Jarrell, Billy S, Jam and J, ADHG rocks, Todd. It sure does. Luna R, Cindy E, Kate F, Mike F. Could not do this podcast without you. I hope you are safe. I hope you are good to yourself. Most importantly, take care of yourselves. Um, it's going to be a better year. 
every year it's just gonna you gotta look for the light man mm-hmm. the light at the end of the tunnel ryan yeah yeah the good one the good light don't go into the dark <laughs> light uh all right from uh michael rosenbaum here in the hollywood hills of california oh you're michael rosenbaum i am ryan tan you're ryan Tans. that's right that's and, right <laughs> jesus we love you a little wave to the camera what a year what a year guys um Lots of great stuff coming up, so I hope you stick with me, and uh, hopefully I'll do this for another year at least. Hey, the power's in your hands. Power's in your hands. You could end it whenever you want to. Yeah, well, I couldn't. <laughs> a lot of people would be unhappy, I think. Would you guys be unhappy? Probably. Then don't. I'll try not to. You won't have to. I just have to, you know, make a living. Yeah. You guys got to get paid. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Love you guys. I'll see you. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.